You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the What the Dev podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Quarkus framework, uh, which was created to help Java developers work in a more cloud-native world. And with me uh, to talk about it uh, in uh, advance of the 2.0 release that's due later this month is uh, Rich Sharples, Senior uh, Director of Product Management at Red Hat. How are you doing, Rich? Yeah, I'm doing great, David, and thanks for inviting me. Good. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Uh, so one of the things that I was curious to know about is uh, I, I know that Quarkus was developed to help Java developers overcome some issues in running Java in containers uh, in a cloud-native environment. So what are some of those issues that uh, developers were running into that Quarkus can help them uh, overcome? Yeah, um, to answer that, you know, I have to, have to cut on, put on my um, tech historian hat a little bit. Um, you know, Java was really developed for a whole, whole different generation of, of application and, and architecture. Um, you know, you, you, you think back um, probably 15 years, um, we were running big Java application servers on you know, kind of big, big Solaris boxes or HP boxes or IBM boxes mm -hmm. with tons of memory and kind of dedicated CPUs and blah, blah, blah. And our release cycles were, were kind of long and we would you know, continuously, continuously deploy our applications, multiple applications to those app servers. And that was really the kind of environment that the Java was optimized for. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Sun and then Oracle and, and the, the broader Java community did a really great job of, of optimizing for that kind of workload. But, you know, fast forward to today, when we think about new applications, we're thinking about microservices. Um, we're, we're, we're talking, um, you know, small, well-encapsulated services, not huge code bases. Um, our, our entire um, infrastructure is disposable. You know, we we don't continuously deploy an application to a running server. We basically blow away a pod and we relaunch a new pod, and um, you know, load kind of shifts to, to um, you know um, take requests. Uh, or we could be running as a function in a you know, function as a service where my my code is executed for just the, the duration of the function for a few milliseconds, and then it's kind of disposed of. So living in a very, very different um, um, environment, the way we develop applications are very different. Um, we're kind of more, more agile, more iterative, release much quicker uh, in release incrementally. Um, the way we architect applications, we now have, you know, many small processes running in pods in Kubernetes versus, you know, one large monolith. Um, so we've got to think about, well, what's the, what's the memory overhead for each of those processes, each, each of those images, each of those JVMs? These things become important. When I'm running in a function as a service engine, my startup time is super important. You know, there's no way I can wait, you know, five minutes for my application to warm up. Um, I, I, I invoke the function, and it's got to respond instantaneously. And whatever magic goes behind on behind the scenes, um, it just has to work that way. There can't be any kind of variance or or latency there. So you know, very very different world. And to be frank, you know, Java you know hasn't really kind of 
um, kept up with the, the latest developments. And that's because they've happened incredibly quick, quickly. You know, you think um, Kubernetes has kind of come in the last really kind of five years, six or seven mm-hmm. years, maybe, if you're an early adopter. But, you know, for most people, last three, five, four or five years, it's really kind of uh, really redefined how we uh, develop, deploy, architect applications. So, you know, we've had to do a lot of work um, you know, really outside the, the, the core JVM to, to get some of these benefits, to get low memory footprint, to get fast startup time, um, without affecting performance quality, uh, uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and also really, really thinking about that development development experience, which you know, I'm sure we'll get into. But you know, there's, there's an expectation that development experience is very, very different today than it was, say, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, that's for sure. Uh, nobody can question that. Uh, one of the things that I noticed that kind of caught my eye was the uh, the timing. I, I, I think the uh, initial launch was in November of 2019, and then four months later, the world shuts down with COVID, and offices close up, and people you know scatter to the winds, uh, have to you know create new uh, workspaces and get all the software that they need to continue to do their jobs. How do you think that that impacted either uptake of the project or work on the project itself? Yeah, that's, that's that's a great question, and yeah, something none of us uh, had really anticipated. You know, difficult to plan for that kind of, uh, of course. You know, ho- hopefully, once in a lifetime uh, thing. Yes. Um, yeah. One thing I one thing I for sure it shows is the re- is the resilience of open source. You know, um, I, I tried the project pretty caref- pretty pretty closely, even though I'm you know not not a developer, not, I'm not part of the project, but you know I, I, I do keep uh, I have a keen interest in success. I do track it closely. And um, you know, things really haven't slowed up, and it shows um, the resilience of open source. That um, open source projects, in general, are not dependent on on an office being open or on some infrastructure behind a firewall. Right. Everything's in the open. Everything's on the internet. Everything's collaborative. And I think the team, um, the Red Hat team, plus you know, uh, uh, folks from other organizations. I've done a great job of keeping keeping the momentum going on both the Quarkus project and many other open source projects, mostly because they really can. They, you know, open source projects are by nature very distributed. We have distributed tool chains and tool sets. Um, again, you don't need to be in a, a particular place or a particular time zone to be productive on an open source project. And that's one of the real benefits. So I think that the yeah you know, the project has probably been largely unaffected. You know, modulo. You know. Developers have kids and families, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, to deal with as well. So you know, we, we've all taken a bit of a toll there. Um, in terms of adoption, um, if anything, I've, I think we've, we've we've seen it really increasing. Yeah, we we, we track a whole bunch of metrics around um, the usage, what kind of applications people are building with Quarkus, what what frameworks they're pulling in. Um, we you know track, track GitHub, we track the kind of health of the community. And that's all very, very positive. That have, hasn't really been um, negatively impacted. And I think, if anything, you know, I sense in the last nine months, there's been a real acceleration to um, the cloud. And I'm using air quotes here because, you know, the cloud is this general term. But I think there's, a, there's a, an acceleration of organizations to really think about building that next generation hybrid, you know, hybrid cloud infrastructure, 
um, looking at the way they build and architect those next generation applications using cloud native principles. And Quarkus kind of lands right in the middle there. You know, there's there's a lot of Java developers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't necessarily want to have to go use a new, uh, learn a new language to um, take advantage of some of these new ideas around microservices and functions. So, you know, Java and Quarkus is really in a good sweet spot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can talk about um, some of the uh, integrations uh, that kind of round out uh, the framework and, and, you know, how developers can leverage some of those things and why they're important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I talked about some of the... Um, the kind of negatives around Java that it really was designed to support this kind of more monolithic um, architecture. One of the positives is the incredible ecosystem that Java has, both in terms of the huge number of developers, I mean, anywhere between eight and 11, you know, full-time professional, million full-time professional mm-hmm. developers. Um, so, and then the ecosystem of libraries and utilities and tools is really is second to none. It really is pretty amazing. So um, one of the, the keys to Quarkus always was to ensure that we can bring as many of those existing libraries and frameworks forward with us, right? Um, um, what, what we're assuming with Quarkus is um, people with existing Java development skills can move forward with cloud-native designs and and uh, architectures without having to learn too much you know so if you're familiar with using hibernate as your object relational mapping that absolutely works really well in a caucus environment and in fact the hibernate project is now looking at um, some uh, you know advanced features to make it even more um, useful in that kind of caucus environment sure. so there are, there's a huge catalog of um, hundreds of frameworks and libraries that work with Quarkus right now. We call them extensions. Um, and, you know, many of those have been optimized for a Quarkus environment to get the best out of that kind of, you know, low memory, fast startup uh, um, and high performance um, mm-hmm. um, design where we're, uh, we're used to with Quarkus. So, yeah, that's that's super important. And, and a big piece piece of this is a, a standard, um, a Java standard called MicroProfile. Um, that's really a continuance of a lot of the work that was done around Java EE uh, in, in the past. And how do you recast that in this new cloud-native microservices world? So um, really what MicroProfile does is, is um, you know, brings together a number of different frameworks and libraries and APIs. Uh, the minimal set you need to, to build Java microservices with and, um, you know, Quarkus supports the microprofile and with with uh, with Quarkus two, you know, moving the microprofile four is a big uh, a big step there. Mm-hmm. That's an important uh, set of frameworks. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious to know. So what should organizations look for as they start to introduce uh, Quarkus and Java into their uh, cloud native processes? You know, where, where will they see immediate benefit? Where might uh, uh, yeah get some pitfalls? Yeah. I, th- I think what you're going to do is step back and look at your, your application portfolio and decide where you want to take care of those applications. So, yeah, all organizations have, have an existing footprint of, uh, of applications. Many of those are going to be Java. And you're really going to decide you know, whether they, 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 it makes sense to move them to the cloud 
meaning move them to, uh, say, a containerized environment or move them to you know, a containerized environment running in a cloud provider. Does that make sense? And if it does, what's the best way of doing it? Um, do you just take the existing application as is and maybe just rehost it in a Kubernetes environment like OpenShift? Or do you, do you start to think about refactoring that application to make the best use of that cloud environment? I mean, one of the reasons we, we, we think about microservices is that allows us to make smaller, discrete changes to our application as it runs, rather than having to do, you know, big six monthly mega rollouts or a new version. So, you know, are you going to get a benefit from a um, yeah, faster cadence of releases? Is that the whole application or the certain parts of the application that would benefit from that more than others? Right. So I think you've got to really look at your application portfolio and, and classify different applications. Do they, do they get rehosted? Do they stay where they are? Or do they get redesigned and refactored? Mm-hmm. And I think where when, when you're thinking about refactoring or redesigning, that's really where Quarkus comes in. It's mostly a kind of greenfield or refactoring kind of technology. You can take existing Java code using existing APIs and refactor those as services or functions, really good use case, or, or pure greenfield designing from scratch new microservices right. to be part of those existing applications, maybe. Yeah, but but key for organizations looking to do a legacy modernization, perhaps. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we see a lot of that because, yeah, right now, um, you know, um, some of those existing java programs are considered legacy you know we we used to think legacy was cobol and kicks and whatever now it's some of those older java applications first generation um do they need a refresh um and again is that um do you choose to to rewrite to refactor some or um or keep as is or just extend those monolithic applications to to give you new capabilities right and they're all they're all options you've got to carefully consider you know not everything should should move you know Nobody at Red Hat would ever suggest that, hey, you just go rewrite everything using Quarkus and microservices. That would be crazy. <laughs> um, you, you really got to kind of pick and choose your battles and, and really focus on what's going to give you the biggest biggest value. Gotcha. So, you know, as we mentioned up top, uh, Quarkus 2.0 is um, ready to drop, I think, towards the end of the month. Uh, what can yeah. what can we expect to see uh, in terms of features or bugs? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so big release. Um, um, you know, some of the bigger bigger items are you know kind of rebasing on JDK uh, eleven. Um, so obviously, lots of um, enhancements in JDK eleven versus eight. Um, version eight isn't is no longer supported. Um, and you know, good riddance. I think we've we've used JDK for long enough. So let's move on. Eleven's been out and seventeen's coming pretty quickly, so we need to keep rolling with the JDK uh, version support. So JDK eleven is the minimal version. Um, uh, Vertex for Vertex is a um, the component within Quarkus to allow us to do this um, kind of reactive, event driven um, kind of internal architecture for handling requests, and that gets a major upgrade with version four. So you know. Better performance, better scalability, more developer productivity there as well for building those uh, event-driven apps. Um, MicroProfile, which I've also already mentioned, is this kind of you know, collection or umbrella of really useful APIs that work well together to build standard-based um, Java microservices. So MicroProfile 4 is a major release. Um, 
And you know, that, that's a really solid foundation for building these standard Java applications um, focused around microservices. Mm-hmm. There's one really, really, um, yeah, one of the kind of rock, real rock star features is is not quite fully um, generally available. It's it's still uh, in kind of alpha stage, but this um, continuous testing um, idea that Stuart Douglas has been kind of pushing for a while is kind of continuous testing. So it you know, allows you to modify code, rerun the tests, um, redeploy the app, um, all without doing anything. You can just you know, continue within your your IDE, your editor, and edit and deploy code. It's it's quite amazing. So that's um, that that's really hot. Lots of lots of interest and talk, especially from developers around that um, uh, that, that feature. It, it's alpha, so you know we're looking for feedback there. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for people to maybe roll out into production right now, but uh, really really exciting technology. And, and in general, you know, we're always uh, super excited about getting some feedback from um, these these new major releases. Certainly. Um, in, in addition, you know, your Red Hat main sponsor of Quarkus. We're also working with um, the broader Open JDK community because what we recognize is some of the capabilities and some of the improvements we we need to make have to be made within the JVM itself. Um, they they can't be kind of done on the outside. So you know. Um, we have um, yeah, doing, doing some work on a project called Mandrel, for example, to, um, to to really kind of give us a a chance to explore some ideas within the, the OpenJDK itself. Um, you know, some of the optimizations we can make around native compilation and uh, you know, uh, ahead of time compilation, which is yeah, gives us that additional kind of uh, reduction in memory overhead and uh, startup speed. Good stuff. So if people wanted to learn more about it, I guess Quarkus.com is a good place to start. It's actually Quarkus.io. It's an open source project. So we use the uh, IO um, uh, domain name. That's the place to hang out. There's there's a really um, vibrant community over there. Good forums, uh, good discussions. So download it. The app is out already, has been for a while. I don't know if there will be an app or two before there is a GA, but um, you know, take a look at that new release and um, get involved, give us some feedback and put it through its spaces. Great. Rich Sharples, thanks so much for being here on the uh, What the Dev podcast today. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. It was good, good, uh, good talking with you. Absolutely. And to all our listeners, thanks so much for being uh, with us and tuning in. Until next time, I'm Dave Rubenstein. So long for now. <laughs>